Good morning all, Anthony Longman from Herbert Smith Freehills with a short podcast just picking up on some of the reactions and some of the thinking on the industrial relations uh, changes that have been introduced to the Parliament this week. I'm joined by some members of our team around the country. Um, I'll introduce them to you, uh, Nat Gasper in Melbourne. Hi, Anthony. Drew Pearson in Sydney. Good Anthony. And Wendy Favell up in the, the Sunshine State in Queensland. Morning, Wendy. Hi, Anthony. So we just wanted to pick out some of the uh, topics that have been in the press that have emerged since the bill was introduced, uh, but more generally, in terms of the media reaction, um, any surprises or thoughts on that? Perhaps start with you, Nat. Yeah, Anthony, look, I suppose the first comment is that it's unsurprising that this has generated a lot of media um, throughout the country. What we have seen is um, also, probably unsurprisingly, um, despite the genesis of this legislation from five working groups which were designed to capture the views of both employees and employers into the formation of the legislation, we know from media reports that um, that hasn't necessarily resulted in what its intention was. But quite quickly, uh, the union movement came out um, wholly opposing a, a, a great swathes of the proposed legislation. So we've heard about um, the casual conversion issue not delivering the sort of reform that the union movement anticipated. Um, it has quite quickly led to a lot of media in that regard reporting on that and Christian Porter, the Attorney-General, coming out and, and perhaps talking about um, compromise for that, so whether or not that's the case. Now, what that means is um, some debate on these uh, they, these issues in the Senate we can expect in the new year, Anthony, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Jennifer Westcott's piece yesterday was, was really measured and um, endeavoured, I think, to to bring people together with a focus on on getting something meaningful through. But it wasn't the only bill, obviously. There was a second bill um, that dealt with this issue of breakups from union mergers. Any thoughts on that one, Drew? Look, I think Blinken, you would have missed its passage through Parliament. It has to have set a world record for a piece of industrial relations legislation getting through um, the House and the Senate in the, in the one sitting day. I think that says something about um, the issues that have been emerging from the CFMMEU and that we will continue to see a, a bit of distraction within that mega union. Um, you've got some really strong, powerful, different um, divisions who will now be looking at themselves and trying to work out, are they going to go it alone? Will they split off and um, kind of partner up. If you if you break it down, um, definitely mining and manufacturing are going to be thinking about what they want to do. I think in the MUA, we're likely to see some leadership um, posturing and shuffling. Um, now, at a high level, I guess you think, what does that mean for employers working day to day? I think where we see these types of um, structural changes having impact at the workplace level is through the grassroots um, kind of political campaigning for the leadership of the union. So you may very well see deals being done that were otherwise being blocked or a rise in industrial action. Um, it's not an election year. Um, there will be a desire to 
get through um, this next period as the the omnibus bill makes its way through Parliament in the early stages of 2021. Um, but I, I think we can we'll definitely see many and varied responses from the different divisions. Yeah, I think that's a good comment. Um, and if to take your point, if if the manufacturing and the mining division become engaged in deciding whether they'll break up, then that leaves some pretty big personalities in the maritime and the construction division to, I guess, decide who's going to be in charge. Um, there'll be competition for leadership posts. So I would have thought businesses with exposure um, to those divisions need to, to watch carefully. Um, just moving on to the casual changes, I think in our article we identified them as the, the real standout for business. One of the things which hasn't been talked about a lot is it seems to me that if the bill's passed in its current form, the definition will apply with respect to claims that are made in the past. So claims that are made that a casual uh, wants access to permanent entitlements, say through 2018, 19, 20. If the claim is made after this bill's passed, um, I guess arguably the respondent can say, well, they're not entitled to those benefits because under this definition, they're a casual um, so it's not, a, in a sense, a retrospective operation uh, on the face of the bill, but maybe practically it is. Mm -hmm. That also might be the case with, with the double dip. So even claims that succeed with respect to the past, um, the employer will still have the benefit of these new double dip provisions. Is that how you're seeing this, Wendy? Is that how you, you think it will operate? Yeah, I think so. I think the other thing to keep in mind is it's, I mean, it certainly swung the pendulum back to giving primacy to the deal that is struck between the employer and the employee at commencement, which, you know, um, has been debated a lot over the last few years with Skeen and Rosado. But there are a lot of things in there in the legislation that relate to that definition that employers really, if this passes, need to focus on getting their arrangements in order. Um, and the other piece is the casual conversion um, rights that are in there. There is a fair bit of onus on the employer to, to um, notify employees when they hit a certain level of service um, unless there are reasonable business grounds. And, and, you know, that's this vague concept that is in the legislation. There's some guidance as to what that means. But there are, if you do have businesses with large groups of casual employees, there are there is a bit of homework to do and some preparation to do in relation to those provisions um, that, are, that are going to be important for businesses. Mm. I think um, the ACTU has referred to this um, somewhere in, in all of the commentary we've seen over the last few days, but might there be a constitutional issue? I mean, people as old as me will remember Daryl Kerrigan and um, the, <laughs> the opposition he had to the government seeking to acquire his property. And the question was what what were just terms that he could receive in compensation for that? Um, and his contention, of course, was that they needed to be more than just financial terms. Um, might it be the case here that a respondent um, might seek to strike out one of the class actions, which is on foot on the basis that this definition renders the casuals unable to access the entitlements, um, the unions uh, reply to the strike ad or the, the applicants with uh, a constitutional point saying this is actually the acquisition of property um, and it doesn't appear that there's any just terms. I just 
mentioned that. Um, it's a complex area of constitutional law. I'm sure it'd be ripe for argument, but it's a interesting little um, inclusion or wrinkle, as it were, in, in the provisions. Any thoughts, Wendy? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. The other area of um, constitutional issues that arise with this bill is um, the criminal sanctions for underpayments. We now have state legislation in Victoria and Queensland that apply to similar sorts of conduct. So there's a real question about whether the state laws are now inconsistent with the federal law. Um, I think this probably is an extra piece of legislation that um, supports that sort of challenge that state laws perhaps do not have effect. But um, unfortunately, I think the Victorian laws appear to be here to stay, at least for now. And it'll be the employer that the unfortunate employer that becomes um, charged under that legislation that might have um, that constitutional challenge that is we are all expecting to come at some point. Mm. Now, on the criminal sanctions, I guess uh, after the 16 election, the Turnbull government really upped the ante with its uh, increased penalties. There was then debates at the state level and there was an inquiry here in WA about whether criminal sanctions were appropriate. And as you've indicated, um, uh, in, in Queensland and in Victoria, that debate was won by the, the side seeking criminal sanctions. And it is important to look at the, the federal parliament's now accepted that, or at least the federal government's accepted it. And I wouldn't have thought this aspect of it will be contentious with the unions. Um, briefly, Wendy, what is the exposure um, to, to large employers around the country? Look, I think a really important part of the legislation is that it brings in this dishonesty element. So there's got to, there's got to be a real intention to underpay someone there. I think for a lot of the underpayment matters that we're certainly helping our clients with, um, the underpayments aren't intentional. Um, people are trying to fix them as quickly as they possibly can in full knowledge of how complex um, those issues can be and the time that it takes to fix them. However, I think it's really trying to target those employers who know about underpayments who aren't willing to rectify. So it's, I think it's important to keep that in mind and that's the way the legislation has been framed and hopefully will be the way that it will apply in practice. Mm. And I, I think we're seeing the, um, the federal government really pick up this concept of wage theft and a movement away from payroll errors to criminal sanctions for what is criminal conduct. Um, and that's why you see the multi-million dollar fines, four years imprisonment for individuals in this space that you, you certainly wouldn't expect to occur where there is a complex industrial issue. Um, decisions have been made and they, they haven't necessarily fully complied with the industrial arrangements that the employer was required to. Interesting point. Um, on the intention point, I guess what doesn't get a lot of press with a lot of these underpayment cases is that there's just as many overpayments. As oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the systemic errors produce underpayments, but they also produce overpayments. So I wonder, it would be difficult, one thinks, to prove intention where you're simultaneously overpaying at the same yeah. time as you're underpaying. So. Well, Hashtag wage generosity doesn't have quite the same sort of clickback <laughs> and appeal as hashtag wage theft, does it? So, no. Yeah. no. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks for that, Wendy. I just have a um, an observation next about the award changes. And 
the observation is that it's remarkable, I think, to see an act of federal parliament which actually names a dozen awards in it and says any provision of those awards which is inconsistent with the provisions of this division, of this act that we're making, uh, fall away. Um, it's really a case of the parliament reaching down into the terms of the arbitrator's awards and altering them. And when you step right back, and again, if you've been in this game for long enough, you can remember in the 90s, in 96, the Workplace Relations Act introduced allowable award matters. And if a, a, a clause in an award was not an allowable award matter, it fell away. And there was a High Court challenge about that. High Court upheld the Parliament's right to do that. Then in 06, we had the Australian Fair Pay and Condition Standards, direct federal legislation for terms and conditions of employment. That relied on corporations' power, and there was a High Court challenge about that. And again, the High Court upheld the, the employer's rights to, to do that. Then in 09, when we had the Fair Work Act, the, the um, approach was expanded upon. The National Employment Standards uh, went up to 10 matters from five. So there you have the Parliament further exerting its, its authority. Uh, we, of course, had JobKeeper, which was the Parliament legislating to change awards. And, and now we've got this. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's useful, I, I suppose, to stop and think which direction is all of that heading. Seems to be heading in a direction that goes away from the independent tribunal um, being the main arbiter of terms and conditions and goes towards the elected parliament. Um, any thoughts around the call on, firstly, that observation, but secondly, what it might mean? Anthony, if I can just share some thoughts on that, it, it, it's also consistent, well, sorry, inconsistent with this, um, uh, the way we say enterprise bargaining working. So, again, just history lesson, that, that scheme was introduced by the Keating government in the early 90s. The, the thinking behind enterprise bargaining, of course, was that it was actually employers and employees who were best able to decide what terms and conditions could best meet the, the needs of that enterprise. Um, and, and it was moving away. It was this concept of decentralisation. So the theme you're talking about, I think it's a, a very um, acute and wise observation as to what we're seeing. And it's just really interesting to see, um, you know, despite uh, the Attorney General's comments about um, these this legislation wanting to get parties back to the bargaining table with the joint aim of increasing productivity and wages, that's good news for employers, it's good news for employees, um, we see this shift towards um, not only the industrial tribunal but the parliament, as you say, regulating these terms and conditions of employment. So it's it's a really interesting trend. Mm. True. Look, I, I think that it's an ongoing acknowledgement that the award system is too complex, that these awards have kind of billowed out from what were at least initially fairly um, readable and understandable terms to something that has just become amorphous. You know, modern awards were meant to deal with the National Employment Standards and 10 kind of um, areas, and yet we've got these hundreds of pages of uh, awards that you're you know, average person in the pub couldn't pick up and get a pretty straight answer um, out of. So I think uh, there is definitely room for improvement in this space, but is it Parliament hopping in and, and writing the uh, the entitlements themselves? 
I don't think that's a, you know, employment standards by popular opinion in elections. It's not somewhere I want to see us headed. Yeah, I think I share your view there. Um, I'm sure I do. Um, <laughs> the, the reality, I guess, though, is what, what was the government going to do? It couldn't really throw back to the Commission to review the awards. I mean, the Commission was supposed to do a four yearly review of awards. It commenced the first one in 2014, and it hasn't even finished yet, um, six and a half years later. So maybe the method that they've adopted was out of necessity. Yeah. In a similar vein, Anthony, um, one of the pieces of the Omnibus Bill requires the Commission to deal with enterprise agreement applications within 21 days. Now, I mean, that that's another interesting theme where there's sort of oversight of this independent industrial tribunal managing its affairs um, in circumstances where, of course, um, the Commission has previously published its you know, benchmarks for decisions and the like. So, um, yeah, there's there's a couple of those in the in the legislation, the proposed legislation. All right, look, we might just finish off with a question without notice. Um, a final observation, something that stuck out for you individually as being important for business. Can we uh, start from up north and I'll throw to you, Wendy? Look, I think a lot of it was unexpected, uh, sorry, a lot of it was expected. You know, certainly there are things that we've picked up, for instance, in the casual space um, that we were expecting. It was the three things that Drew and I mentioned in our article last week. Um, I guess the interesting part of this is whether that's going to get through Parliament and how it's applied in practice is, I guess, what concerns me because the law in that area is complex and um, for employers with larger casual workforces, it's it's obviously a key change for them. So I'd be interesting to see how it develops into over time and whether some of the clarity that we're all trying to get out of the casual employee issue is actually going to be found in practice over the next couple of years. Mm. Uh, Drew, observations? Look, I think yet again this is a situation where employers need to go back to basics and make sure that they've got the the very foundations of their arrangements um, set um, in accordance with the, the law. I think 2021 is going to be another year where industrial relations is a hot topic. Um, and as we head towards the next federal election, um, it seems pretty clear to me that we're going to see a lot more talk in this space. Mm. Final observations from you, Nat. Yeah, just in relation to the bargaining changes, Anthony, um, there's been some amendments which will be welcomed by businesses, particularly in relation to assisting agreements that have been agreed by everyone at site, move through the Commission approval process much faster. So I think that that is something to be celebrated and a welcome relief. Of course, it's going to depend on how the Commission applies those rules in practice and um, separately, of course, there's a real question as to whether these further legislative changes were in fact needed at all. But um, look, some, some welcome relief for employers in that regard. Could it have gone further? Yep. But I, I do think uh, it will assist businesses in making an, and having their enterprise agreements approved in a more timely manner and with a much more sensible approach to the approval process. All right. With that, thanks all for your contributions. We'll be back on um, line with more observations for you as the bill 
progresses its way through the Senate committee and obviously we'll publish uh, another article when the final bill is passed um, with some observations for your business. Thanks and good morning. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.